scary girl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories, a weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or just the generally weird, eerie, strange, spooky stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show. And not yours. Merry New Year's Eve, Eve. It's our last show of of 2021. Last show of the year. Can y'all handle it? I can't. I can't either. I think I peed a little. Sarah. Stephanie! We're doing it. I know, another year down. I know. Isn't that crazy? I'm very proud of us. If you've never listened to the show before, stop, stop go back, listen for... <coughs> what Excuse just me. happened? It's called a burp. That's what it was. What it, just happened? It like started I it heard did. it. It came up. It happened. Anyway. Wow. Stop. Go back. Ooh. Listen to the beginning. They all stopped as soon as that happened. They were like, not what I was looking in my for. mouth a little bit. You did. You I did. just did. I just did. I just grumble thorped in my mouth a little bit. Can you handle it? No. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Idiot. Idiot. <laughs> Welcome back. If you've, you know, caught all up again or if you're a regular and, you know, it, you're just listening because it's the, it's the last episode of the year. Yeah. And you can't wait. To hear what happened to the Donner Party, I really can't. I'm so excited. We finished recording last week's episode, and what, you looked at me and you were like, and nobody's even been We haven't even gotten to cannibalism yet. That's how wild it was. This story's so crazy, we haven't even gotten to the cannibalism. We haven't even gotten to the cannibalism, which is the thing that they are known for. And already at this point in the journey, they have been through more than what most people would ever go through going across the Oregon Trail. And guess what? It gets worse. It gets worse. And, I mean, we're going to post the map, I know. Like, yeah. Because it's, oh. it's clutch that y'all look at this map. But I am I was just really reiterating to Sarah where we are physically on the map at this point in the story. Like, they are almost there. They're in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, which is the last, like, difficult part of the journey. And that's where they are when we cut off our story. So, are they less than 100 miles out? At this point, that's a great question. I was like, it's not, like Stephanie said, we'll put the map up on Instagram. We highly recommend looking at it for reference because you would look at where they are and where they have to be at this point when shit hits the fan and you're like, oh, that's not far at all. That's like a day trip. I want to say it's less than 100 miles. Wow. From, from where they're trying to be. All accidents happen close to home. It's true. Well, and I'm trying to find the part in, like, the, the Wikipedia page that mentions, like, exactly how far it was. How far but, I mean, mind you, it's, like, it's up in the mountains, but, like, not far from where they're trying to be at, at all. Like, especially when you look at how far they have come. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. Are we just diving into it? It's the end of the year. Like, let's it's go. It's the end of the year. Are you guys dying to hear what happened? Because the Donners are. Because the Donners did. But I'm... All right, everybody. <laughs> hey. Do we even... Did we hey Sarah, hey Stephanie? Last episode? This episode. No, that's why I was like, we need... We can't get into it, get into it yet. Because... Maybe it's every time... What? 
Who am I? What, you, you can't talk. You grumble thorped in your mouth a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we did. Because we did a weekly podcast. We're saying it. We did oh, that Oh, yeah, we did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. you asked if we oh, oh. No, no, no. No, the second part. I was like, did we even start the episode right? What's happening? Who are we? Okay. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, hey Leslie. Leslie. Y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Okay, Ghosts of the Donners. Do you think some of the dead Donners haunt the Donner Pass? I sure hope so. I'd like to see that they're back and and doing what they can do. Oh. I gotta find where I was in my notes. So we kind of just did a recap. We did a recap. They've made it so far. They even successfully made it through the Hastings bullshit Yes, the Hastings cut off and they've reached like back to the regular ass trail but, down to where they're trying to go. So remember, yeah, like a quick recap. Um, they started on. We said they should have left if they were going to leave by May 1st. They didn't start the journey until May 12th. So almost two weeks later. Uh, and then all the bullshit that happened with the Hastings cut off ended up cutting another month out of the time that they had to work with. So, bad. so now they're in the Sierra Nevada mountains, which is the last part of their journey. And it is late September. Snowfall isn't supposed to start until mid-November, but you want to be done well before that because it starts to get cold. Oh, because you were already saying it was hot during the day, but it was frigid at night. Yes. So forced with one last push over the mountains, they were described as much worse than the Wasatch, which are the mountain range that they already came through. The ragtag company had to decide whether to forge ahead or rest their cattle. Mm. At this point, it was October 20th. And they had been told that the pass would not be snowed in until the middle of November. One man was killed when another man's firearm distinguished or um, discharged negligently, like it was an accident. Uh, An event that seemed to make the decision for them. They were like, we've got to fucking move. We gotta get home. We gotta get home. Family by family, they resumed their journey. First, now mind you, they were all part of the same party, but there were many families that had joined the Donner Party. First, the Breens, then the Keysburgs, Staten, the Reeds, the Graves, and the Murphys. The Donners waited and traveled last. After a few miles of rough terrain, an axle broke on one of their wagons. Jacob and George went into the woods to fashion a replacement. George Donner sliced his hand open while chiseling the wood, but it seemed a superficial wound. Oh, no. Snow began to fall. Oh, no. The Breens made it up the massively nearly vertical slope a thousand feet to Truckee Lake, now known as Donner Lake. Three miles from the summit and camped near a cabin that had been built two years earlier by another group of pioneers. That's nice. The Eddies and Keysburgs joined the Breens, attempting to make it over the pass, but they found five to ten foot snowdrifts and were unable to find the trail. Oh, no. They turned back for Truckee Lake, and within a day, all of the families were camped there, except for the Donners, who were five miles, a half a day's journey, below them. On the evening of November 4th, it began to snow again. It wasn't supposed to come until the end of until November. Mid-November. Until mid-November. And it started okay. in late October, and then it just kept coming. Oh, no. 
60 members and associates of the Breen, Graves, Reed, Murphy, Keysburg, and Eddie families set up for the winter at Truckee Lake. Three widely separated cabins of pine logs served as their homes, with dirt floors and poorly constructed flat roofs that leaked when it rained. The Breens occupied one cabin, the Eddies and the Murphys another, and the Reeds and the Graves in the third. Keesberg built a lean-to for his family against the side of the Breen cabin. The families used canvas or ox hide to patch the faulty roofs. The cabin had no windows or doors, only large holes to allow entry. Of the 60 at Truckee Lake, 19 were men over the age of 18, 12 were women, and 29 were children, six of whom were toddlers or younger. How are these kids not already dead? (sighs) Anything that they can give the kids to eat, they give them. And we'll talk about a lot of the things that they eat before it's people. Oh. Because there's a lot of things that they eat first. I mean, that's good. I'm glad that their first choice wasn't wasn't people. people. Farther down the trail, closer to Alder Creek, the Donner family's hastily constructed tents to house 21 people, including Mrs. Wolfinger, which Mr. Wolfinger is the the rich German guy who went to go bury his stuff. And the guys were like, he got killed by the Indians. Do you think they killed him and took his stuff? (laughs) Well, just keep that in mind. Oh, no. God. Okay. So, including Mrs. Wolfinger, her child, and the Donner's drivers, six men, three women, and 12 children in all. It began to snow again on the evening of November 4th, the beginning of a snowstorm that lasted eight days. Oh, no. By the time the party made camp, very little food remained from the supplies that that Staten had brought back from the Sutter's Fort. So, he's the one who had gone ahead to see how much... There Mm -hmm. was there, and he brought stuff back. And he came back, and now he's going to get stuck? Oh, (laughs) that sucks, because, like, he made it. He made it, and he brought some stuff back. But he didn't bring enough. You know what I mean? Like, it was only supposed to be stuff to tide them over to get the rest of the way down the trip. So, um, the oxen began to die, and their carcasses were frozen and stacked. Truckee Lake was not yet frozen, but the pioneers were unfamiliar with catching lake trout. Mm. Eddie... The most experienced hunter killed a bear, but had very little luck after that. The Reed and Eddie families had lost almost everything. Margaret Reed promised to pay double when they got to California for use of the three oxen from the Graves and Breen families. Graves charged Eddie $25, normally the cost of two healthy oxen, for the carcass of an ox that had starved to death. Oh my gosh. Desperation grew in the camp, and some reason that individuals might succeed in navigating the pass where the wagons could not. In small groups, they made several attempts, but each time returned defeated. Damn. Another severe storm, lasting more than a week, covered the area so deeply that the cattle and horses, their only remaining food, died and were lost in the snow. Oh, <gasps> No. So that they would have eaten them. They would have eaten their cows, their but they couldn't even find them in the snow because there was so much snow. So, and this is a group that are in those three log cabins in a lean-to by the lake. And then the Donners are five miles away. away. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and... Um, yeah. So there's there's a monument now 
I mean, I, I watched a video where somebody was, like, you know, checking around, like, the area and kind of showing you, like, what the area looks like, yeah. where, where these cabins were, because now it's, like, part of a national park. Yeah. Um, and they have a statue that's 20 feet high to show you how high the snow was. And like, there's no, there's no way. Like, it's a, it's taller than a house. Oh my god! And that's how much snow there was. And they just lost. How were they? They just lost their yeah their animals. Like, how could they find them? They yeah. were just lost in snow. They don't even have a door on their house. It's just a, a hole. hole to climb in and out of the house. Yes, that now has snow in front of it. Yeah. So, Patrick Breen began keeping a diary on November twentieth. Okay. He concerned himself primarily with the weather, making the storm, or marking the storms and how much snow had fallen, but gradually began to include references to God and religion in his entries. Because he knew he was going to die. Life at Truckee Lake was miserable. The cabins were cramped and filthy, and it snowed so much that people were unable to go outdoors for days. Diets soon consisted of oxhide, Strips of which were boiled to make a disagreeable glue-like jelly. Ox and horse bones had been boiled repeatedly to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Sometimes they were softened by being charred and eaten. Bit by bit, the Murphy children picked apart the ox hide rug that lay in front of the fireplace, roasted it in the fire, and ate it. After the departure of the snowshoe party, which we'll get to them in a minute, two-thirds of the migrants at at Truckee Lake were children. Mrs. Graves was in charge of eight. Lavina Murphy and Eleanor Eddy together took care of another nine. Migrants caught and ate mice that strayed into their cabins. Many of the people at Truckee Lake were soon weakened and spent most of their time in bed. Occasionally, one would be able to make the full day trek to see the Donners. Mm. News came that Jacob Donner had hired three men, uh, had hired three men, and they had all died. Mm. One of them, Joseph Reinhardt, confessed in his deathbed that he had murdered Wolfinger. Oh, called it. Yes, he killed the German so guy. So she's like, let's eat him. <laughs> George Donner's hand, remember it was like just, just a flesh wound, like yeah. just barely a cut. Gangrene. Had become infected, which left um, which left only four men to work at the oh, Donner camp. yep. Damn. Margaret Reed had managed to save enough food for a Christmas pot of soup to delight her children. But by January, so now we're getting through December. Jesus. By January, they were facing starvation and considered eating the ox hides that served as their roof. Margaret Reed, Virginia, Milt Elliott, and the servant girl Eliza Williams attempted to walk out, reasoning that it would be better to try and bring food back than sit and watch the children starve. They were gone for four days in the snow before they had to turn back. Their cabin was now uninhabitable. The oxhide roof served as the, as the food supply for the children, and the family moved in with the Breens. Why was their cabin uninhabitable? Because they had eaten the roof. Oh, oh. The women leave for four days, and they eat the roof right. off the house. They had eaten so much of the roof that the roof was no longer oh my God. Sustain, like holding the snow out, so they had to move in with one of the other families. Wow. The serv- at least they were like, but look at all this roof we brought. The servants <laughs> went to live with other families. One day the graves came by to collect on a debt that was owed by the reeds and took the ox hides, 
all that the family had left to eat. The mountain party at Truckee Lake began to fail. Spitzer, so the mountain party, these are the um the people that left with the snow with the snowshoes. Okay. So uh they had made these snowshoes uh out of pack saddles that they were carrying, like just random pieces of things. The mountain party at Truckee Lake began to fail. Spitzer died, then Bayless Williams, who was the driver for the reeds, also died. More from malnutrition than starvation. Mm. Frankly Graves fashioned 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and hide. On December 16th, a party of 17 men, women, and children set out on foot in an attempt to cross the mountain pass. As evidence of how grim their choices were, four of the men were fathers, three of the women who were mothers gave their young children to other families. Oh my god. They packed lightly, taking what had become six days' rations, a rifle, a blanket each, a hatchet, and some pistols, hoping to make their way to Bear Valley. Two of the, which was like one spot in between where they were going, like it was the, be the next place on the trail. Mm-hmm. Two of those without snowshoes, Charles Berger and 10-year-old William Murphy, turned back early on. Other members of the party fashioned a pair of snowshoes for 12-year-old Lemuel Murphy on the first evening from one of the pack saddles that they were carrying. The snowshoes proved to be awkward but effective on the arduous climb. The members of the party were neither well-nourished nor accustomed to camping in the snow 12 feet deep. Mm -hmm. And by the third day, most were snowblind. So snowblind, I was like, what even is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's basically when your eyes are so exposed to the UV rays doubled by the sun and reflecting off of the fucking snow. It's like your eyes are sunburnt and they burn and you also can't see. Oh, God. Yeah. So they had snow blindness from being out in the snow so long. Ugh. On the sixth day, Eddie discovered his wife had hidden half a pound of bear meat in his pack. So they had some food. (laughs) The group set out again the morning of December 21st. Staten had been struggling for days and he remained behind saying that he would follow shortly. His remains were found in that location the following year. Mm. The group became lost and confused. After two more days without food, Patrick Dolan proposed one of them should volunteer to die in order to feed the others. So he was like, this is it. We got to eat someone. We got to. Not it. Some suggested a duel, while another account describes an attempt to create a lottery to choose a member to sacrifice. Eddie suggested that they keep moving until someone simply fell, but a blizzard forced the group to a halt. Antonio, the animal handler, was the first to die. Franklin Franklin Graves was the next casualty. And as the blizzard progressed, Patrick Dolan began to rant deliriously, stripped off his clothes, and ran into the woods. He returned shortly afterwards and died a few hours later. Not long after, possibly because Murphy was near death, some of the group began to eat flesh from Dolan's body. They were like, he said we could do it. He said we should. Lemuel's sister tried to feed some to her brother, but he died shortly afterwards. Eddie, Salvador, and Luis refused to eat, Mm -hmm. which Salvador and Luis were the two um, Native Americans who were traveling with them. Yeah. The next morning, the group stripped the muscle and organs from the bodies of Antonio, Dolan, Graves, and Murphy. They dried them to store for the days ahead, taking care to ensure nobody would have to eat his or her relatives. 
Wow. So the snowshoe group ate people first. Uh, yes. I was okay. going to say first. Yes. First. <laughs> Eight people first. After three days of rest, they set off again searching for the trail. William H. Eddy eventually succumbed to his hunger and ate human flesh, but that was soon gone. They began taking apart their snowshoes to eat the oxhide webbing and discussed killing Luis and Salvador for food. The two non-white people. Oh, yeah. I was like, the two non-white people who wouldn't eat people, they were like, well, let's just kill them and eat them. Whereas everybody else, they were like, let's at least wait for them to die. Makes me really angry. Ugh. Um, however, Eddie warned them, like, hey, they're talking about killing y'all and eating y'all. You need to go. And so they left. They snuck off. Jay Fosdick, who was a son-in-law of James Reed, he died during the night, leaving only uh, seven members of the party, of his particular party. The snowshoe party. Eddie and Mary Graves left to hunt, but when they returned with deer meat, Fosdick's body had already been cut apart for food. After several more days, 25 since they had left Truckee Lake, they came across Salvador and Luis, who had not eaten for about nine days and were close to death. William Foster shot the pair. (gasps) So he actually killed them. Wow. Believing their flesh was the rest of the group's last hope of avoiding imminent death from starvation. They were the only people deliberately killed in order to be eaten. Wow. That's fucked. Yes. And now he's part of the lake camp. Um, or is this still snowshoe? This group? is still the snowshoe people. Yeah, okay. the families with all the all the little little kids. So yeah. the moms watching all the little little kids are who are still up at the lake. Okay, they're at the lake, and then the daughters themselves are five. They're miles near away. the lake team, right? Got it. Okay. Yes. Not more than a few days later, the group stumbled into a Native American settlement, looking so deteriorated. That the camp's inhabitants initially fled, like they thought they were fucking ghosts. (laughs) The Native Americans gave them what they had to eat, which was acorns, grass, and pine nuts. After a few days, Eddie continued on with the help of the tribe members to a ranch in a small farming community at the edge of Sacramento Valley. A hurriedly assembled rescue party found the other six survivors on January 17th. Their journey from Truckee Lake had taken 33 days. Wow. Oh my gosh. So when they found them, did they still have all of that human meat on them? Like packed in like sandwich bags? (laughs) (laughs) I think that by that point they had eaten all of it. Because remember the last, the last stop had been the Native Americans. Oh, okay. So they had eaten all their people meat. And then the last thing they had was like acorns and pine nuts. Got it. Okay. James F. Reed made it out of the Sierra Nevada to Rancho Johnson in late October. So back then, that's when he got down initially and was like, we got to get supplies. We got to get help. Yeah. He was safe and recovering at Sutter's Fort, but each day he became more concerned for the fate of his family and friends. He pleaded with Colonel John C. Fremont to gather a team of men to cross the pass and help the company. In return, Reed promised to join Fremont's forces and fight in the Mexican-American War. He was joined by McCutcheon, who had been unable to return to Stanton, as well as some members of the Harlan Young Party. So that was the group that had left ahead of them with Hastings. Yes, yeah. The Harlan Young wagon train had arrived at Sutter's Fort on October 8th. Wow. The last to make it over the Sierra Nevada that season. The party of roughly 30 horses and a dozen men carried food supplies and expected to find the Donner Party 
on the western side of the mountain along the Bear River below the steep approach of the Emigrant Gap, perhaps starving but still alive. When they arrived in the river valley, they found only a pioneer couple, migrants who had been separated from their company who were near starvation. Two guides deserted Reed and McCutcheon with some of their horses, but they pressed on farther up the valley to the Yuba Bottoms, walking the last mile on foot. Reed and McCutcheon stood looking at Emigrant Gap only 12 miles from the top, blocked by snow, possibly on the same day the Breens attempted to lead one last effort to the crest from the pass on the east. Despondent, they turned back to Sutter's Fort. So they just could not get to them because of the snow. And they were probably like looking for each other at the same time. They were just on the opposite sides of the snowstorm. Damn. Ugh. Much of the military in California were engaged at the time of the Mexican-American War, and with them, the able-bodied men. So, for example, Colonel Fremont's personnel were occupied at the precise time in capturing Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Throughout the region, roads were blocked, communications compromised, and supplies were unavailable. Only three men responded to calls for volunteers to rescue the Donner Party. Wow. Reed was laid over in San Jose until February because of regional uprisings and general confusion. (laughs) He spent that time speaking with other pioneers and acquaintances. The people of San Jose responded by creating a petition to appeal the U.S. Navy to assist the people at Truckee Lake. Two local newspapers reported that members of the Snowshoe Party had resorted to cannibalism, which helped foster sympathy for those who were still trapped. Residents of Yerba Buena, many of them recent migrants, raised $1,300, which is the equivalent today of about $36,000, and organized relief efforts to build two camps to supply a rescue party for the refugees. Okay, and this is in February? Yes. Wow, okay. A rescue party, including William Eddy, started on February 4th from Sacramento Valley. Rain and a swollen river forced several delays. Eddie stationed himself at Bear Valley while the others made steady progress through the snow and storms to cross the pass to Truckee Lake, caching their food at stations along the way so they didn't have to carry it all. Mm -hmm. Three of the rescue party turned back, but seven forged on. Wow, okay. On February 18th, the seven-man rescue party scaled the Fremont Pass, now called the Donner Pass. Mm -hmm. As they neared where Eddie told them the cabins would be, they began to shout. Mrs. Murphy appeared from a hole in the snow, stared at them, and asked, Are you men from California, or do you come from heaven? Oh, God. She's like, Are we dead? Is this death? Am I dead? The relief party doled out food in small portions, concerned that it might kill them if if the emaciated migrants overate. Yeah, if they ate too much too fast. All the cabins were buried in snow. Sodden oxhide roofs had begun to rot, and the smell was overpowering. Thirteen people at the camps were dead, and their bodies had been loosely buried in snow near the cabin roofs. Mm. Some of the migrants seemed emotionally unstable, rightfully so. Three of the rescue party trekked to the Donners and brought back four gaunt children and three adults. Leanna Donner had particular difficulty walking up the steep incline from Alder Creek to Truckee Lake, later writing, "...such pain and misery as I endured that day is beyond description." George Donner's arm was so gangrenous, he could not move. I'm surprised he's not dead. 23 people were chosen to go with the rescue party, still leaving behind 21 in the cabins at Truckee Lake and 12 at Alder Creek. 
Wow. Because they could only bring back so, so many, many people. So that means there were still people they had to leave behind. Did they leave them with some human food? They did leave them with some stuff. <laughs> the rescuers concealed the fate of the snowshoe party, informing the rescued migrants only that they did not return because they were frostbitten. Oh. Patty and Tommy Reed were soon too weak to cross the snowdrifts, and no one was strong enough to carry them. Margaret Reed faced the agonizing predicament of accompanying her two older children to Bear Valley and watching her two frailists be taken back to Truckee Lake without a parent. She made rescuer Aquila Glover swear on his honor as a mason that he would return for her children. Patty Reed told her, well, mother, if you never see me again, do the best you can. Upon their return to the lake, the Breens flatly refused them entry into their cabin, but after Glover left more food, the children were grudgingly admitted. The rescue party was dismayed to find that the first cash station had been broken into by animals, leaving them without food for four days. After struggling on the walk over the pass, John Denton slipped into a coma and died. Ada Keysburg died soon afterwards. Her mother was inconsolable, refusing to let the child's body go. Ada Keysburg, I believe, was three years old. After several days more travel through difficult country, the rescuers grew very concerned that the children would not survive. Some of them ate the buckskin fringe from one of the rescuers' pants and the shoelaces of another's to to the relief party's surprise. On their way down from the mountains, they met the rescue party, which included James Reed. Upon hearing his voice, Margaret sank into the snow, overwhelmed. Aww. Because he had been banished, yeah, so she thought he was she dead. Yeah, she thought he was, gonna, he was dead. Oh, that's kind of nice. That, I was like, that part's sweet. That's kind of nice. After those rescued migrants made it safely into Bear Valley, William Hook, Jacob Donner's stepson, broke into food stores and fatally gorged himself. Oh. The others continued to Sutter's Fort, where Virginia Reed wrote, I really thought I had stepped over into paradise. She was amused to note that one of the young men asked her to marry him, although she was only 12 years old and recovering from starvation, but she turned him down. (laughs) Around the time the first relief party was being organized, nearby California settler and patriarch George C. Yunt had likely previously heard of the plight of the Donner Party and had distressing dreams of a struggling group of starving pioneers in the deep snow. Yount, Mariano Guadalupe Vallejo, and others then raised $500 to send out another rescue party. Mm -hmm. On March 1st, the second relief party arrived at Truckee Lake. Those rescuers included veteran mountain men, most notably John Turner, who accompanied the return of Reed and McCutcheon. Reed was reunited with his daughter, Patty, and his weakened son, Tommy. An inspection of the Breen cabin found its occupants relatively well, but the Murphy cabin, according to George Stewart, passed the limits of description and almost of imagination. What? What was in there? What did it look like? Lavina Murphy was caring for her eight-year-old son, Simon, and two young children of William, Eddie, and Foster. She had deteriorated mentally and was nearly blind. The children were listless and had not been cleaned in days. Louis Keysburg had moved into the cabin and could barely move due to an injured leg. No one at the Truckee Lake had died during the interim between the departure of the first and the arrival of the second relief party. Oh, that's good. Patrick Breen documented a disturbing visit in the last week of February from Mrs. Murphy, who said her family was considering eating Milt Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were like, all right, 
I already picked a person who's next. Not just I'm like ready. whoever goes. Him. Reed and McCutcheon found Elliot's mutilated body later. So they did it. They did it. Ooh. The Alder Creek camp fared no better. The first two members of the relief party to reach and saw Trudeau carrying a human leg. When they made their presence known, he threw it into a hole in the snow. What? That was nothing. (laughs) That contained mostly the dismembered body of Jacob Donner, George's brother. Mm -hmm. Inside the tent, Elizabeth Donner refused to eat, although her children were being nourished by their father's organs. The rescuers discovered three other bodies had already been consumed. In the other tent, Tamsin Donner, was, which is George's wife, was well, but George was very ill because the infection had reached his shoulder. Mm-hmm. The second relief evacuated 17 migrants from Truckee Lake, only three of whom were adults. So most of them were children. So 14 kids and three grown-ups. Just out there doing the best they can, eating Well, each that's other. who they took that the, on the second rescue oh, trip. Oh, I thought you were saying that that was all that was left in that camp. No, for... so that's who they, they pulled on the second trip. Okay. Only five people remained at Truckee Lake. Uh, Keesburg, Mrs. Murphy, and her son Simon, and the young Eddie and foster children. Tamsin Donner elected to stay with her ailing husband, after Reed informed her the third party, the third relief party would arrive soon, Mrs. Donner kept her daughters Eliza, Georgia, and Francis with her. The walk back to Bear Valley was very slow. At one point, Reed sent two men ahead to retrieve the first cache of food, expecting the third relief, a small party led by Selim E. Woodworth, to come at any moment. A violent blizzard arose no! after they scaled the pass. Uh, Five-year-old Isaac Donner froze to death, uh, and Reed nearly died. Mary Donner's feet were badly burned because they were so frostbitten that she didn't realize she was sleeping with them in the fire. Uh, when the storm passed, the Breen and Graves families were too apathetic and exhausted to get up and move, not having eaten for days. The relief party had no choice but to leave the, uh, to leave without them. The site where the Breens and Graves had been left became known as Starved Camp. Margaret Breen reportedly took the initiative to try and keep the members of the camp alive after the others departed down the mountain. Soon after, however, Elizabeth Graves and her son Franklin perished before the next rescue party could reach them, and the party resorted to eating the flesh off their dead bodies in order to survive. Three members of the relief party stayed to help the remaining at the camps, Charles Stone at Truckee Lake, Charles Gady, and Nicholas Clark at Alder Creek. While Clark was out hunting, Stone traveled to Alder Creek and made plans with Katie to return to California. According to the steward, Tamsin Donner arranged for them to take her daughters Eliza, Georgia, and Francis with them, perhaps for $500 cash, which is a lot. That's a lot of money. Stone and Katie took the three girls to Truckee Lake, but left them at a cabin with Keesburg and Levina Murphy when they started for Bear, for Bear Valley. Caddy recalled later that after two days on the trail, they noted in past starved camp, but they did not stop to help in any way. Wow. They overtook Reed and the others within days. Several days later at the Alder Camp, Clark and Trudeau agreed to leave for California together. When they reached Truckee Lake and discovered the Donner girls still there, they returned to Alder Creek to inform Tamsin Donner. She got scammed. They took her money. William Foster and William Eddy, survivors of the Snowshoe Party, started from Bear Valley to intercept Reed, taking with them a man named John Stark. 
After a day, they met Reeve helping him, helping his children struggle on toward Bear Valley, all frostbitten and bleeding, but alive. Desperate to rescue their own children, Foster and Eddie persuaded four men with pleading and money to go to Truckee Lake with them. During their journey, they found the 11 survivors at Starved Camp huddled around a fire that had sunk into a pit. The relief party split with Foster and Eddie and two others headed toward Truckee Lake. Two of the rescuers, hoping to save some of the survivors, each took a child and headed back to Bear Valley. Wow. John Stark refused to leave the others. He picked up two children and all the provisions and assessed, and assisted the remaining Breens and Graves to safety, sometimes advancing the children down the, pale, uh, down the trail piecemeal, putting them down and then going back to carry other debilitated children. Wow. The third and final relief effort. Foster and Eddie finally arrived at Truckee, or arrived at Truckee Lake on March 14th, where they found their children dead. Oh. Keysburg told Eddie that he had eaten the remains of Eddie's son. Eddie swore to murder Keysburg if they ever met again in California. George Donner and one of Jacob Donner's children were still alive at Alder Creek. Tamsin Donner had just arrived at the Murphy cabin to see her daughters. She could have walked out alone, but chose to return to her husband, even though she was informed that no other relief party was likely to be coming soon. Foster and Eddie and the rest of the third relief left with the Donner girls, young Simon Murphy, Trudeau, and Clark. Lavina Murphy was too weak to leave, and Keysburg refused. Two more relief parties were mustered to evacuate. Keysburg was like, nah, I'm good, I'll stay here. He And he's the guy who early on kicked an old man out of his wagon, and he was like, you can walk or you can die. And then oh. the old man, like, died by the river. And then he ate that guy's kid and was like, I ate your son! Sorry, I ate your boy. God, what an ass. Two more relief parties were mustered to evacuate any adults who might still be alive. Both turned back before getting to Bear Valley, and no further attempts were made. On April 10th, almost a month since the third relief had left Truckee Lake, the Alcade near Sutter's Fort organized a salvage party to recover what they could of the Donner's belongings. Those would be sold and with a part of the proceeds used to support the orphan Donner children. Wow. The salvage party found the Alder Creek tents empty except for the body of George Donner, who had died only days earlier. On their way back to Truckee Lake, they found Louis Keesburg alive. According to him, Mrs. Murphy had died a week after the departure of the Third Relief. Some weeks later, Tamsin Donner had arrived at his cabin on her way over the past, soaked and visibly upset. Keesburg said he put a blanket around her and told her to start out in the morning, but she died during the night. The salvage party were suspicious of Keesburg's story and found a pot full of human flesh <gasps> in the cabin, along with George Donner's pistols, jewelry, and $250 in gold. So they say that he killed her? They threatened to lynch Keesburg, who confessed that he had cashed $273 of the Donner's money at Tamsin's suggestion so that it could one day benefit her children. Mm-hmm. News of the Donner Party's fate was spread eastward by Samuel Brennan, an elder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and a journalist who ran into the salvage party as they came down from the pass with Keysburg. Accounts of the ordeal first reached New York City in July of 1847. So they were still rescuing people. They finished rescuing people in April. Yeah. So it was almost a year after they made their trip, like started their trip. Yeah. 
Jeez. across the country to the West. Reporting on the event across the U.S. was heavily influenced by the national enthusiasm for westward migration. In some papers, news of the tragedy was buried in small paragraphs, despite the contemporary tendency to sensationalize stories. Several newspapers, including those in California, wrote about the cannibalism in graphic, exaggerated detail. In some print accounts, the members of the Donner Party were depicted as heroes, and California a paradise worthy of significant sacrifices. Ugh. Emigration to the West decreased over the following years, but it's likely that drop in numbers was caused more by fears over the outcome of the ongoing Mexican-American War than by the cautionary tale of the Donner Party. Mm -hmm. In 1846, an estimated 1,500 people migrated to California. In 1847, the number dropped to 450, and then to 400 by 1848. The California gold rush spurred a sharp increase, however, and 25,000 people went west in 1849. Most of the overland migration followed the Carson River, but a few 49ers used the same route as the Donner Party and recorded descriptions about the site. Mm. In late June 1847, members of the Mormon Battalion under General Stephen Kearney buried the human remains and partially burned two of the cabins. The few who ventured... Wait, no one had buried them yet? They, they were just, just like, walking by and been like... Well, this is June... Later. Yeah, this is June 1847, so this was that same year. Oh, okay. This okay, was okay. like... Because remember, yeah, the last troop got people out in April, April. of okay. 1847. So yeah, in June of 1847, members of the Mormon Battalion under General Stephen Kearney buried the human remains and partially burned two of the cabins. The few who ventured over the pass uh, over the pass in the next few years found bones, other artifacts, and the cabin used by the Reed and Graves families. In 1891, a cache of money was found buried by the lake. It had probably been stored by Mrs. Graves, who hastily hid it when she left with a second relief so she could return for it later. Mm. Langsford Hastings received death threats. Yeah. <laughs> a migrant who crossed before the diner uh, before the Donner Party confronted him about the difficulties they had encountered, reporting, of course he could say nothing, but that he was very sorry and that he meant well. Uh. Of the 87 people who entered the Wasatch Mountains, 48 survived. Only the Reed and Breen families remained intact. The children of Jacob Donner, George Donner, and Franklin Graves were orphaned. William Eddy was alone. Most of the Murphy family had died. Only three mules reached California. The remaining animals all perished. Most of the Donner Party's members' possessions were discarded. A few of the widowed women remarried within months. Brides were scarce in California. The Reed settled in San Jose, and two of the Donner children lived with them. Reed fared well in the California gold rush and became prosperous. Virginia wrote an extensive letter to her cousin in Illinois about our troubles getting to California <laughs> with editorial oversight from her father. Journalist Edwin Bryant carried it back in June 1847, and it was printed in its entirety in the Illinois Journal on December 16th, 1847, with some editorial alterations. Virginia converted to Catholicism, fulfilling a promise that she had made to herself while observing Patrick Breen pray in his cabin. The Murphy survivors lived in Marysville, California. The Breens made their way to San Juan Bautista, California, where they operated an inn. 
They became the anonymous subjects of J. Ross Brown's story about how severe discomfort upon learning that he made, that he was staying with alleged cannibals printed in Harper's Magazine in 1862. Many of the survivors encountered similar reactions. George and Tamsin Donner's children were taken in by an older couple near Sutter's Fort. Eliza was three years old during the winter of 1846 to 47, the youngest of the Donner children. Mm -hmm. She published an account of the Donner party in 1911 based on printed accounts of those of her sisters. The Breen's youngest daughter, Isabella, was one year old during the winter of 1846 to 47 and the last survivor of the Donner party. She died in 1935. The Graves' children lived varied lives. Mary Graves married early, but her first husband was murdered. She cooked his killer's food while he was in prison to ensure she condemned, or to ensure the condemned man did not starve before his hanging. One of Mary's grandchildren noted she was very serious. Graves once said, I wish I could cry, but I cannot. I could forget the tragedy. Perhaps I would know how to cry again. Mary's brother William had several different occupations, a diverse lifestyle, and his nieces thought he was eccentric and irascible. He died in 1907 and was buried in Calistoga. Nancy Graves was nine years old during the winter of 1846 to 47. She refused to acknowledge her involvement, even when contracted by historians interested in recording the most accurate versions of the episode. Nancy wow. reportedly was unable to recover from her role in the cannibalism of her brother and mother. Eddie remarried and started a family in California. He attempted to follow through on his promise to murder Louis Kiesberg, oh. but was dissuaded by James Reed and Edwin Bryant. Nah, they should have let him kill him. A year later, Eddie recalled his experiences to J. Quinn Thornton, who wrote the earliest account of the episode, also using Reed's memories of his involvement. Eddie died in Petaluma, California on December 24th, 1859. Keysburg brought a defamation suit against several members of the relief party who accused him of murdering Tamsin Donner. The court awarded him, accorded him $1 in damages, but also made him pay court costs. An 1847 story printed in the California Star described Keysburg's actions as ghoulish and his near lynching by the salvage party. It was reported that he preferred eating human flesh over the cattle and horses that had become exposed to the spring thaw. You know what? Honestly, it was a group of 80 people. They started eating people. There was bound to be one of them. Who was that into was like, it. Who was like, oh, I, I like this. Uh, historian Charles McGlashan amassed enough material to indict Keesburg for the murder of Tamsin Donner. But after interviewing him, he concluded no murder occurred. Eliza Donner Howden also believed Keesburg to be innocent. As Keysburg grew older, he did not venture outside, for he became a pariah and was often threatened. Well, because he, he's an asshole. He told McGlashan, I often think that the Almighty has singled me out among all the men on the face of the earth in order to see how much hardship, suffering, and misery a human being can bear. Oh, sure. Over it. The Donner Party episode has served as the basis for numerous works of history, fiction, drama, poetry, and film. The attention directed at the Donner Party is made possible by reliable accounts of what occurred. According to Stuart, and the fact that the cannibalism, although it might almost be called a minor episode, has become in the popular mind of the chief fact that rem that is remembered of the Donner Party. For a taboo always allures with a great strength as it repels. 
The appeal is the events focused on the family and ordinary people, according to Johnson, writing in 1996 instead of on rare individuals, and that the events are a dreadful irony that hopes of prosperity, health, and a new life in California's fertile valleys led many only to misery, hunger, and death on her stony threshold. The site of the cabins became a tourist attraction as early as 1854. In the 1880s, Charles McGlashan began promoting the idea of a monument to mark the site of the Donner Party episode. He helped acquire the land for a monument, and in June of 1918, the statue of a pioneer family dedicated to the Donner Party was placed on the spot where the Breen Keysburg cabin was thought to have stood. It was made a California historical landmark in 1934. The state of California created the Donner Memorial State Park in 1927. It originally consisted of 11 acres surrounding the monument. 20 years later, the site of the Murphy Cabin was purchased and added to the park. In 1962, the Emigrant Trail Museum was added to tell the history of westward migration into California. The Murphy Cabin and Donner Monument were established as a National Historic Landmark in 1963. The cabin is that one cabin that the other group didn't burn down? Right. Okay. So okay. There's a large rock that was the back of one of the houses. Now there's just a sign on that rock that says, like, this is where the fireplace of the Murphy cabin was. Mm -hmm. And a bronze plaque has been affixed to the rock listing the members of the Donner Party, indicating who survived and who did not. The state of California justifies memorializing the site because the episode was an isolated and tragic incident of American history that has been transformed into a major folk epic. As of 2003... I mean, it's an epic story. As of 2003, the park is estimated to receive 200,000 visitors a year. I'd visit. And then here is the statue. statue. Right. And when you're standing, because there's a base part down here... If you're a person standing here, like, this is people height. Mm. And so this is how tall the snow was. Like, a normal person is this tall, and snow is up to here. I would have died, like, day seven. I don't think I would have. And I, so, here's my question. I have a few questions. Go for it. Um, number one, why is it called the Donner Party episode if they were one family in a multitude? Is it just because they took on George Donner to be the quote unquote leader? Yes, because they yeah, because they called on Donner and like I said, sometimes it's called the Donner Reed Party. Yeah. Because George Donner and James Reed are the two people that people the like leaders like, put in the lead. Group. Right. Okay. And and James Reed is the one who like was like, let's go through let's no, the Hastings cutoff is the way to go. Like we gotta go through the Hastings yeah. cutoff. And he survived. Yes. But he survived, George didn't. But George did not. Yeah. Ultimately succumbing to his gangrene. Hand wound. Yeah. My other question is, so the snowshoe group started eating people first. Yes. Did they go back or did someone tell the other group, hey, yo, you know what's really good? People. Or did they start eating people on their own? I think it was separate. The snowshoe people ate, and then only a few of them made it mm -hmm. down to... Most of them died. Most of them the, were eaten. Yeah. Like, there's actually a, a chart <laughs> that shows... Died, 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 died. Who died of which group. Who lived, who died, who, who ate Who someone. tells their story. Um. Okay, so then, yeah, the people in the cabins, and then the Donner, the actual Donner family themselves, who weren't even in the cabins... 
all started eating people just on their own. Right. But they but they were eating people who died. Who died of natural who died of natural causes. Natural causes, not murdering. Except Keesberg, who probably killed Tamsin Donner. You think he did? Well no matter what, I think he was a big a hole. Yeah. Okay. I think those are all of my questions right now. I'm honestly surprised only one person ate the human flesh and was like, I'm into it. Out of a group of 80, I was Only one person was into it, right? A bunch of them did it. But only one guy was like, yeah, actually, it was better than the horse meat. I mean, I would assume everyone. That was his argument. He was like, it it was better than when we ate the horses. I mean. I can't handle eating horses. But give me James over there. I'll eat And then I'm trying to remember, there was this idea, too, of like, you would eat... It was like, you eat the cattle before you eat the horse. You eat the horse before you eat your dog. You eat your dog before you eat people. You eat your strangers before you eat your friends. You eat your friends before you eat your family. I mean, depends on how close you are to your friends and how close right? you it's are like to your family. Right, it's like, define family. <laughs> um, and because this episode is coming out New Year's Eve Eve, um, I did buy that Donner Party board game. You did? <laughs> Not for Mary Angela, but for my sister. sister. That's so funny because I saw it. I think I've even got a picture in my phone where I was like, ooh, snap a picture. I should come back and buy that. Um, I bought it to play with my sister or brother. And my sister had had specifically asked for two-player games because when we leave, like, you know, it's stuff that her and my brother could play. But I I saw it and I was like, I kind of really want to buy this game. Uh, and so but I bought it so the die. four of us can all play right. And then I was like, let me really like, what really happened with the daughters after I'd already bought the game? And I was like, God, this, they went through a lot. That's all you're going to think about <laughs> when you play the soon. game. Um, but yeah, for Christmas, we're going to be playing the daughter board game. Oh, I can't wait. Tell me how it is. Cause then maybe I'm imagining it. it's like secret Hitler, but you need four people instead of six. And figure out who's the key. Because there's keep, because there's cannibals who let each other know that they're cannibals and then it's like you have to bring stuff back that you foraged, um, and some of the thing you can bring back is food. But if you're a cannibal, you can discard the regular food in an attempt to make people try and eat people. Yeah. Oh my god, that's. <laughs> so you're Keesberg. You're like, oh yeah, man. Yeah, I couldn't I find know. any horse meat. I guess. <laughs> Gross but, horse meat. Yes, we're eating people. Oops. Yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah. And that's what. Uh, that's what. 150 years does to the respect on that. <laughs> Capitalism. It seems like enough time to make a joke about it and play a board game. I, I already mean, bought the board game. They're all dead now. They so are. So, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, so. Come so, back and haunt us. Sorry, Bama. Really sorry. I think if I was starving to death that I could eat people. I think I could. I, I think I could. I, I mean, I, I don't, could. obviously I don't want to. No, I'm not saying I, I'm not, like, I wouldn't discard the, I would eat the horse meat. First, before right? Before I ate my person. Right? And I think I also would maybe not, like, kill them, but, like, let's, we're losing a leg. Right? Like, could you, sorry. Like, everyone, like, that's it. You're, what, are you right-handed? Cool, we're taking your left arm today. That's going to feed us for a week. Right, you don't have to kill whole people. What if it's like, all right, so-and-so's turn I to need lose that a leg. Calf. Yep. All right, somebody else, give up a left arm. Oh, you you're a lefty? Then we're taking the we'll right. take your right. You got a thick ass. I'm cutting a chunk out of it. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking the left butt cheek. Here's how it goes. When you sit, which cheek do you favor? Cool, try, we'll I was going to say, try favor the other leg. <laughs> I was going to say. 
favor the other leg. If you play a game of football, try and favor the other leg. Oh, man. That's the Donner Party. Wow. Wild, right? It what was a wild ride. It was a wild ride until it abruptly Before they stopped. even came to the mountain pass where people ended up getting eaten, which is the part everybody knows about. Yeah. But wow. they went through a ton of shit before that even. I guess I didn't realize it was so many. I thought it was a much smaller party. I didn't realize it was, realize a it was huge so group of many people. people. Yeah. And yeah, that's crazy. All right, well, we've got noises happening in the background now. So, so yeah, wrap Happy up. New Year's Eve Eve. Eve, Eve, Eve. Thank next you all time. so much for listening. Next time you listen, yeah, it'll be next year. See you next oh. year. I wow. Yeah. Again. We're drinking soda. I don't drink a lot of soda, okay? Jeez. She's grumble thorping all over all this over room. All over her mouth. All right, well. That's it. Um, you know, you know the thing, like go to our find website, us find us online, subscribe to our Patreon, email us at deadtimestories at gmail.com, give us a five star review on iTunes, Patreon, all of those places. Do it. Um, yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And this has been Dead Time Stories. See you next year. Oh, there's that joke. See you next Tuesday. That's you. You're a see you next Tuesday. Always. <laughs> Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 